0: Welcome to an edition of Mind of a Madman, brought to you from STS Studios. I want to thank everybody for tuning in again this week. Um, as I said last week, you know, I talked about um, the Movie Pope uh, Facebook uh, web uh, uh, channel. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, please go check that out. Uh, uh, the link to that will be in the uh, description to this podcast. Um, I'm trying to work with them. You know, they're trying to help us build listeners. We're trying to help them. So. You know they've been sending some listeners over to us showing some love, so yo, know, uh, please uh, do the same thing, yo. Know, uh, yo, know, just go over there, give them a chance. You know, check them out. A lot of good things coming up. It's um, back to our show. Um, so as I promised last week, we're going to look at um, lost treasures that may or may not still exist all around the world. But before we get into that, as always, uh, of course, we got some news articles to look at. The first thing we're going to look at is entitled Possible New Evidence of Life on Mars Discovered. Uh, New evidence has been found that a wet-dry cycle once existed on Mars. One of the essential things needed for life. A new paper published in Nature examined images taken by the Curiosity rover on Mars of ancient mud cracks. The team looked at distinctive hexagonal patterns and found that there were likely evidence uh, there was likely evidence of high frequency wet dry cycles which pointed towards a sustained cyclical and maybe even a seasonal climate on Mars about 3.7 billion years ago. The author believe the authors believe the mud patterns indicate that there may have been an earth-like climate regime and surface environments favorable to pre, prebiotic light, er, prebiotic evolution. That last phase is critical because prebiotic evolution is thought to be the stage that took place on Earth right before living entities emerged. A close-up of the panorama panor- taken by Curiosity's mass, mass cam at Puntrus reveals hexagonal patterns. Curiosity has been slowly moving up the 5 kilometer high mountain sharp, uh, or Mount Sharp on Mars. It found, the, it found the ancient mud cracks in 2021 after drilling, f- drilling from a rock named Pontours, according to a press release from NASA. This is the first tangible evidence that we've seen that the ancient climate of Mars had such regular Earth-like wet-dry cycles. The paper's lead author, William Rapin, said, who is from France's Institut de Recherche en Astrophysique, at Plenulugi. what that means i have no idea but uh but it just says but even even more important than the wet dry cycles are helpful maybe even required for the molecular evolution that could lead to life so this is just more evidence that you know life at least at one time if not currently still does uh exist on mars um if there is life on mars now it's probably just you know if, if it's anything more than like more or more than like uh like, bacterias or something, of you know, microscopic of that nature. There might be small, like, rodent-sized things underneath the surface, potentially. Or, like, worms or insects. I don't know. But it's, likely that it's, it's, it's unlikely that it's anything large. So. Our next, our next article is really cool. Um, uh, I found this one, and uh, I'm surprised no one else sent this in to me. Um. It's you know, we were just talking a couple weeks ago about about how, you know, was it, it wasn't possible to, you know, be able to read brain waves and eventually transport consciousness from our bodies into like, you know, a computer or to an Android or something like that, or, or no whole other brain. Well, it looks like scientists are on to this. So uh this article is entitled Scientists Extract a Pink Floyd Song from Someone's Brainwaves. And here's what it sounds like. So after a decade of research, scientists have managed to recreate a song from brain recordings with the help of AI and are let us, letting us hear the track. In a press release about this pioneering research, UC Berkeley neurologist and psychologist, Professor Robert Knight said that he and his fellow scientists have begun to crack the code on interpreting not only the content of brain waves, but the meaning behind them as well. Though, other studies have managed to translate the content in brainwaves. No others have been able to hack to this degree the uh, prosody, a formal term for the rhythm, stress, accent, or yeah, accent and intonation, which carry meaning that the words alone do not convey. To get the, to get to the result, which were uh, which were published this week in the journal. PLOS PLOS biology Neurologist at New York's Albany Medical Center hooked up 29 participants to more than 2600 intracranial electroencephalography nodes while they listened to Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall part 1. They found that when they were that when they placed the nodes specifically over the brain's auditory processing center The superior temporal uh, gyrus, which is located just just above and behind our ears, they were able to collect the best data that ultimately translated into the strange approximation of the progressive rock song. The raw data gleaned from the IEEG recordings was then run through artificial intelligence software that, as the Berkeley statement describes, was used to decode brain activity and then encode a reproduction. Along the way, the researchers in the cross-continental endeavor not only managed to synthesize a song, but also able to pinpoint parts of the brain involved in the processing of the rhythm, and found that music appears to be a right brain thing. So let's see what this brainwave sounds like. Let's play this guy here, see what it sounds like. So I want to hear that one more time. One more time. So you can you can make out you you can tell it's another brick in the wall. I mean it's very you, you have to really listen hard, uh, but you know, you you can definitely hear that in there. so it's pretty cool they can just take brain waves and reproduce the sound that it was interpreting. so if they can do this, it's only a matter of time before they can you know you know it's scary because they're gonna be able to, you know they're gonna be able to, to to read everything that's that's going through your brain eventually, which you know which means eventually no one's gonna be able to lie. You know, they're going to know everything. It's just like uh, if you have ever watched uh, Black Mirror, there was an episode where everybody had this implant in their head and they could project things up on TV. Like, you know, all their memories were recorded. They, could, they could, re- could re-watch them in their head or they could project them on, the, on the, their flat screen TVs and stuff. Uh, this is, I think, a step the moving towards that. You know, it's like you know if you infuse this technology with Neuralink, that's kind of where, where we're headed. So it's a matter of time look at our next um, article uh, so it says here Harvard professor dropped scary claim about godlike aliens Harvard astronomer Ava Loeb I, I don't remember what it was but I remember uh, we we just saw another article from uh, from uh, from Ava Loeb just recently I can't remember what it was about but it, I, I, I do remember that name so Harvard astronomer Eva Loeb suggested superhuman aliens could be building baby universes in labs. You can imagine that the superhuman civilization that understands how to unify quantum mechanics and gravity might actually be able to create a baby universe in the laboratory, he said. A quality that we assign to God in religious texts. Uh, the Israel, the Israeli American theoretical physicist, is currently the Frank B. Baird Jr. Professor of Science at Harvard University as well as the former longest-serving chair at Harvard's Department of Astronomy. Uh, Lilb is considered a world-renowned expert on black holes, the first stars, and the research for extraterrestrial life. He has published over 800 papers in peer-reviewed journals, and his work has been featured in popular magazines such as America, Scientific America, National Geographic, and Time. In 1986, Loeb received his Ph.D. in plasma physics from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and then studied theoretic- theoretical astrophysics at Princeton. In 1993, he moved to Harvard University, where he was tenured three years later. Leibov has become a leader. So, just going to talk about him. So. Yeah, he's just he's just saying that, that that he that he's saying that more than likely there are there are super there are advanced there are advanced um you know, alien superhuman alien civilizations that are out there, you know, manipulating building BB universes, which if you remember from the Kardashev scale, that was a type I believe it was a type 5 that was able to, you know, able to was it a five? I'm pretty sure it was a five that was able to harness the energy of an entire universe, which a lot of like uh, people like uh, Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan said would never be able to exist. This this professor saying, hold on a minute, maybe it does exist. So, uh, just a, just an interesting thought. Uh, our next article. I uh, uh, just bear with me. My my internet's been really slow tonight. I don't know what's going on here, but. Alright, so it's entitled, Our Ancestors Suddenly Disappeared, Now We Know Why. While global warming might be the bane of modern human existence, our ancestors were likely faced with a different uh, kind of apocalypse. A new study has found that Europe's first humans were probably wiped out by an extreme cooling event about 1.1 million years ago. The species Homo erectus were ancestors to Homo sapiens, people of today. Researchers suggest that the previously unknown dip in temperature coincides with what's known known about human habitation of Europe. Fossils and stone tools show the Homo erectus arrived in Europe from Asia uh, between 1.8 million and 1.4 million years ago. But they seem to have died out from the continent about 1.1 million years ago. The new evidence... Of Prehistoric humans in Europe is seen around 900,000 years ago with the arrival of Homo antecessor from Africa or Asia. A team of researchers led by Axel Timmerman of the Institute for Basic Science in South Korea reconstructed the climate of Europe during this time using climate models. <clears throat> they found the average temperature in Europe dropped by over 5 degrees sen- centigrade over a period of just a few decades. The, research, the researchers found evidence of sudden cooling in the core of the marine sediment sampled from the ocean floor from the, uh, off the coast of Portugal. For instance, the water temperature near Lisbon dropped from 21 degrees Celsius to around 6 degrees. That's, that's a huge cooling event. Uh, definitely a big change. Uh, it says that in addition to homo erectus themselves weren't suited for the cold they lacked sufficient fat insulation and the means to make fire effective clothing or shelters according to the study so basically you know you know homo erectus didn't have you know the body fat like like we do um, the pictures they have here they don't seem to be very hairy which we weren't, we aren't either but like they said we were we were able to make clothing we were able to make shelter we were able to make fire and fire is what really allowed our species to, to just dominate this, this 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 planet was you know that you know the evolution of fire because that that was that, that was a big game changer. So um, our last article is entitled NASA moving forward or NASA moving towards Artemis II liftoff, but program's future remains uncertain. If if you didn't know the Artemis program, it's a program that put uh, American astronauts back on the surface of the moon. This past week, the four-person crew of NASA's Artemis II mission got their first chance to visit Kennedy Space Center, where, as early as next year, the Orion spacecraft that will be their home for a 10-day test flight to the moon and back is being prepared. We made it to Kennedy. This is awesome. NASA astronaut Artemis II mission commander Reed Wiseman told journalists during a news conference, We're fired up. It's a great day. When you walk around the corner at the Neil Armstrong operations checkout facility, And there's a spacecraft that you're going to ride in. Agency officials also provided updates on everything Artemis, from the crews training, work being done at KCS, and then the building status of the flight hardware for NASA's massive 320 foot space launch rocket system. And while officials were optimistic about the timeline for Artemis II, thrown into question was the future. Of, lunar, of the lunar-focused programming, particularly Artemis 3, and the key goal of returning American astronauts to the surface of the moon by 2025. NASA's plans for Artemis 3 mission depend on SpaceX Starship landing Human Landing System. SpaceX's first and only launch of Starship, launch of Starship in April resulted in catastrophic loss of the rocket and its super-heavy booster. Jim Free, NASA Associate Administrator of Exploration System Development, said the agency is working with SpaceX and trying to understand their schedule some more. While the company said it's working towards another Starship test flight sometime before the end of this year, whether or not that is feasible will ultimately be determined by the Federal Aviation Administration. The FAA sign-off is needed due to the ongoing investigation into the first test flight explosion. If SpaceX isn't ready for the Artemis 3 launch date for the end of 2025, NASA may end up flying a different mission. If that's the case, Free said, stirring in some un- some uncertainty about what's in store for the Artemis beyond next year. Uh, since the crew of Artemis 2 was announced in April, NASA uh, astronauts Reed Wiseman, Victor Glover, Christina Koch, and the Canadian Space Agency's Jeremy Hansen have traveled across the country to witness the pro- progress being made with their mission, which is slated to launch towards the end of next year. It's kind of—it's kind of started. It's kind of started a bit of a media blitz, but we got it. We got, but we got down to work. We've been studying the spacecraft system at the Johnson Space Center. So, you know, at least Artemis two is moving forward. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, the FAA gives SpaceX a little breathing room so they can get this. You know, so they get you know, their portion of the, of the space landing uh, done here. So so with that being said, let's move into uh, our topic this week, which as I said before is lost treasures. So we've all seen movies, whether it's pirate movies or an action movie like Indiana Jones, where they search for and find a long-lost treasure. Wouldn't it be awesome to discover a lost treasure and all of the, that wealth and fame for yourself? If you ever wanted to find a long-lost treasure, this is an episode for you. Uh, Believe it or not, there are still a lot of hidden and lost treasures all over the world, and a few of them are right here in the United States. Uh, In this this episode, we will look at some some of the most notable lost treasures from all over the world. The first lost treasure we're going to look at is the Tomb of Genghis Khan. If you don't know who Genghis Khan is, he was the leader of the Mongolian Empire a little over 800 years ago. Under his rule, nearly 10% of the human population was wiped out. He also had a thing for the ladies. Recent studies have shown through DNA sequencing that one out of every 12 men of Asian descent is a descendant of Genghis Khan. That's one out of 12 of every Asian man. That's a lot of pit You're talking, you know... You figure if if you look, at, you know, just China alone is like almost two billion people. So right there's a half a billion people alone from just China. So that, that, that's that's that that's insane. He's with a lot of ladies. So he died in the summer of the year 1227 along the Yellow River in Yinshan. The exact cause of his death is unknown, although it is it is speculated that his death was a result of injuries during a battle from falling off of his horse. The circumstances around his death were greatly surrounded in secrecy. Uh, Genghis Khan stated years before his death that he wished to be buried in an unmarked grave in the Birkin Kaldun Mountains in Mongolia. After his death, all of the soldiers involved in his burial were executed and a thousand and a thousand horses were released in the area to cover all traces of his tomb. Today, there are, there are thought to be, the area thought to be his burial site is part of an area restricted to, be, to the public and is protected by soldiers. If the tomb is ever found there, it's sure to be a, it is sure to be of untold riches buried along with Genghis. Plus, the historical value of the grave makes it one of the biggest lost treasures to date. Our next lost treasure is the Lost Dutchman Mine. Located somewhere in the superstitious, superstitious mountains near Phoenix, Arizona, it lies the Lost Dutchman Mine. During the early 1800s, a powerful Mexican family discovered a rich deposit of gold and started mining it. For years, they extracted gold, they, they extracted gold at an amazing pace until they had run in with the Apache Indians and almost the entire family was killed. Uh, the last person to see the mine was German immigrant Jacob Walser, who found the mine in the late 1800s. Him and his partner hid a portion of the gold in the mountains. Jacob was the only person who knew the location of the mine until right before his death in 1891, when he discovered the location when he disclosed the, loc- the location of the mine to his neighbor who was caring for him in his final days. The neighbors said that there was an unimaginable amount of gold left in the mine, plus the stash of gold hidden in the nearby mountains. To this day, no one has found the mine, although a number of individuals have disappeared looking for it. So, you know, if you want to go you know, to superstitious mountains looking for this, I don't know, it looks like you might disappear. I'm some kind of curse on it, but... So now let's look at the Jewels of King John. King John of England lived from 1166 to 1216. He loved collecting jewelry and golden plates. Uh, he had a collection unmatched by any collection of jewels today. In 1216, he was traveling from Norfolk, an area named The Swamp, roughly or rightly named because it contained vast areas of vast swamps. King John took the safer, but much slower route around the swamps. The soldiers with the cart full of jewels, personal belongings, and even crowns inherited from his his grandmother, the Empress of Germany, took the shorter route through the swamp. The soldiers and the cart full of jewels disappeared and were never seen again. King John died a few days later. My question is, did the royals back today or back in that time feel they needed to take valuables wherever they went it's like you know it seems like you know whenever a king went somewhere a queen or whatever princess wherever they went they always had a you know a cart full of all of all their valuables it's like you know i guess you know they didn't have safes back in they didn't they didn't trust their servants around that i guess i don't know but they had to take everywhere they went and it's kind of crazy you know and you know so and you know the uh the soldiers that were escorting the cart disappeared. So, was the cart robbed, and you know, was the cart robbed and the jewels taken, or did those did those guys uh, just take off with, with 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 the jewels and you know you know just you know skip the country and went somewhere else with them? You know, we'll never know. This is hundreds of years ago. So, um, our next lost treasure is a lost Da Vinci mural. In 1505, Leonardo da Vinci painted a mural depicting the 1440 victory of the Italian League over Milan in the Battle of Anguieri. Uh, created in the town of Hall of Florence in Palazzo Vecchio, it disappeared when the town hall was, re- was renovated by Giorgio Vasari. At first, it was thought that Vasari painted over it in 2012 a team of experts doing scientific testing such as radar studies announced that the mural wasn't painted over Giorgio vasari never painted over it but rather removed it and painted on a fresh wall in 2020 more research was in 2020 more research had been done and now they say there's a chance that da vinci never painted the mural in the first place so two questions loom Did Da Vinci paint the original mural? And number two, where is it today? You know, Da Vinci's work goes for ridiculous amounts of money. If that thing still exists and somebody would find that, you'd never have to work another day in your life. That'd be generational changing money. So the final treasure we're going to look at on this episode, we're probably going to do another episode with more lost treasures. Uh, The treasure treasure of... uh, a ciphers. The Beale ciphers are a set of three cipher texts pertaining to the buried treasure of gold, silver, and jewels estimated to be worth over 43 million U.S. dollars. It's comprised of three cipher texts. The first, which is yet to be solved, describes the location of the treasure. The second cipher text describes the contents of the treasure. This one has been solved. Which is where the estimated the estimate of forty-three million dollars comes from. The third cipher text, which is also unsolved, lists the name of the treasure's owners and their next of kin. The story of the three cipher texts originates from an 1885 pamphlet called "The Beale Papers," detailing treasure being buried by the Thomas J. Beale or t- being buried by Thomas J. Beale in a secret location in Bedford County, Virginia, in 1820. As the story goes, Thomas Beale entrusted a box containing the three encrypted messages to a local man an innkeeper named Robert Morris, after which he left and never came back. Twenty-three years later, the innkeeper decided Thomas Beale was never going to return, so he finally opened the box and, before his death, passed the ciphertext to a close friend that friend would then spend the next 25 years of his life trying to solve the three cipher text only ever solving the second one. When the friend published all three ciphers in an 1885 pamphlet and sold a large number of copies. This, this one raises so many questions, but the main one is anyone that could verify the innkeeper's friend story had passed away. Second, you know, so, or yeah, so first question is, can or. First question is, you know, is any or or yeah, is anyone that could verify the innkeeper's friend's story? Uh, anybody who could verify the story has passed away, so you know you can't you. Whenever you know, unless the treasure is found, you can never know 100% if it's, just, if it's true or not. Um, the contents was the so. Trying to read my own notes here. The second is, it's ironic that the the only cipher solved is a second one, which contains the amount of the the, uh, treasure. If you want to try and decipher the two remaining ciphers, all three are easily accessible. Oh, on on the internet with a simple search. You just got to go in and type... uh, uh, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. You just gotta go in and... You just gotta go in and type, uh... for a gentleman's name here. Uh, the Thomas J. Beale ciphers. Uh, you type that into uh, Google and... All, all the ciphers are there. I looked at them, they make no sense to me. Um... Maybe the treasure is real. And you could find it. Maybe you can decipher, you know, these, you know, the other two ciphers that haven't been uh, Yoda ciphers yet, who knows, so as you can see, there are so many lost treasures out there left to be found, we only covered a couple in this episode, like I said, we'll undoubtedly be many more episodes on lost treasures, because there, there are literally hundreds of them, if not thousands, just waiting to be found, um... There are a lot more that I could have covered. I mean, I you know, I didn't go into like the um, uh, DB Cooper treasure. Well, the money from uh, DB Cooper, uh, the Oak Island treasure, I didn't get into. Or there's just so many, so many lost treasures that you know. We we'll definitely like I said we'll definitely have multiple episodes on this. So uh, that being said, let's look at uh, the question of the week from last week. So last week you know I asked you, you know, do you think that there's any any true treasures still left to be found that haven't been either you know found and no one's told told said they found it or something that was reclaimed by the ocean or has 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 been accidentally destroyed or whatever So uh I got a lot of responses on this one I'd say I got close to 100 responses and I it was overwhelming it was probably close to 85 90% of the people said yes there are are still treasures out there that have not been found that are findable Um, and then some people listed some things you know the common ones and then you know some people you know there's you know you know I mean a couple people said definitely no but so as you can see just from this list alone that I I put out there today there are still treasures that should be findable that shouldn't have been destroyed that shouldn't have been reclaimed you know that are fine Uh, now are there treasures that I think people are looking for and they're wasting their time. The main one that, like I said, I want to do an episode on this one alone because it's a, it's a big one. There's been a lot of money and time and a lot of popularity around it and that's Oak Island. Uh, I think something was there, I think there's multiple things buried at Oak Island. Unfortunately, I think whatever was in the money pit, I think it's destroyed. I mean, they've drilled so many holes and dug in so much and pulled so much wood and pieces of paper and uh, and it's just so much water there, and I think whatever was there was disturbed, and I think whatever whatever was whatever was in the money pit, I, I truly feel has been destroyed. I don't think it's worth bringing up. I mean, I could be wrong, and they might find something tomorrow, you know. But at least in my mind, there's nothing. I I think whatever was, I think there was something in the money pit. It's still there. So I I just think it's been broken up or destroyed. Um, in the swamp though, that's promising. Swamp hasn't been dis- you know, hasn't been disturbed much since since whatever was, was built there. Um as far as other treasures, I mean I, I think there's a lot of treasures out there that you know we still haven't found. I think there's a lot of things from uh Da Vinci, a lot of manuscripts, maybe some more paintings that haven't been discovered yet that are locked away somewhere. Um I think there are more there are probably more scrolls where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from. We just haven't found them yet. <clears throat> um I think there's definitely you know something there. I think there's something underneath you know the the uh, Sphinx under. I think it's under the left paw of the Sphinx, you know, which supposedly is the Hall of Records, where basically it's like a library of of the history of the world back in that time, and it's also supposed to include uh, records from Atlantis and how they built the pyramids, um, which you know, has you know which Egypt will not let anybody you know. Supposedly there's shafts and passageways to go down there but Egypt won't let anybody go down there yo know, and they've sealed them off I don't know what they're hiding <clears throat> I think there's definitely something there um I think the Vatican has a lot of treasures hidden that that they've acquired that you know they found and they haven't told anybody that that they have found them it's I think there's like a lot of Christian-based things that the, that the Vatican might have, and they're not telling anybody that they have them, and they're hiding it away so that it's protected. But you know, the best way to hide something is to is to have it, and no one think you have it, and have them, have everybody looking for it, you know, everywhere but where it's at. Which would be exactly what I well th- exactly what I think you know, the Vatican's doing. So, so yeah, I think there's definitely treasure out there. There's treasure to be found. Lots of treasure. It's just for the average person like like you and me, it's gonna be so difficult. To find, because it's going to take millions of dollars. It's going to take, you know, a good chunk of what the treasure is worth to find the treasure. So by the time you get done bringing it up, you know, you know, the, you know, the government's going to take so much of it. Is there going to be anything worth it to make it worth your while to find the treasures? Hard to tell. So, let's look at the question of the week for next week. Um, next week, you know, we just talked about the other the Artemis mission today, and uh, I try to remember who it was. I think it was a farmer or astronaut or basically said that the reason that, you know, we haven't been back to the moon since the 60s or 70s or the early 70s is because, you know, while we were there, we ran into a race of aliens that are are stationed there. And we were told, don't come back. And that's why we haven't gone back. And uh, I was watching a documentary. uh, I want to say it was with uh, uh, Dr. Greer. I'm pretty sure it was him. I could be wrong. I think it was with him, and he said that we were warned that, you know, that no matter how close we think we are to another man mission to the moon, something's going to happen last minute, and we're not going to get there. We're not going to go to the moon. So, do you think that the question of the week is, do you think that the Artemis mission is going to happen? Do you think that, you know, by year 2025 we're going to land a man, we're going to have a man mission to the moon, or do you think that, you know, we're never going to get there, that we're never going back, that, you know? there's something up there that warned us to stay away and we're going to stay away that, you know, they're going to lead the public, you know, they're going to lead the public to think that, you know, there's nothing there and it's safe to go. But in all reality, they're always going to find excuses to start scrap missions because <clears throat> if you remember, oh my gosh, this is back in the 90s, the plan was to have a manned mission to the moon by 2018 and by 2030 be putting the man on, on, on Mars. And we're totally not there. We're not even close to there. You know, we're, we're already... Well, we're already uh, five years past when we're supposed to have a man on the moon, and we're, we're just in the, we're just doing baby steps. You know, we sent an unmanned mission now. By the end of next year, we're going to send a manned mission to orbit the moon, but not come back to the Earth. Or, I mean, but not land. And it's going to be not till potentially 2025 or longer till we have a mission that actually lands on the moon. I don't know. It's it's. Well, I'm going to save my opinion until next week. So. With that being said, um, I want to thank once again everybody for tuning in. Uh, make sure that you know if you haven't already, please subscribe, um, uh, subscribe to this channel, um, and uh, click your notifications so you get notifications whenever, whenever we're on. Um, that really, really helps us because uh, you know, once I get so many subscribers, um, I can uh, things will really start moving. Like we're I need, I need a few more subscribers and then, and then I can you know, then there's more features that I'll be able to provide to you guys, um, make sure that, you know, you go and check out the, uh, movie Pope, uh, like I said, you know, I'm trying to send you guys all over there, just, you know, you know, just, you know, uh, go over, you listen to a podcast or two, you know, give them a little bit of love, you know, and if you like it, subscribe to it, and keep going back, I mean, you I went back, you know, this, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's a great podcast. Definitely go over go over and check it out. And so with that being said, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. Uh until next week, stay safe.